The guys have been blessed to be immersed in God's Word this weekend down at the men's retreat with Pastor Tim. Jim Yinkst asked me as, as we were rolling in, so how did you and Pastor Tim meet? And I said, I picked him up at the airport. I know that you're, you're accustomed when, when we have a retreat speaker or even a speaker here at the church to, to hearing the story, oh, we met, you know, 100 years ago, for the last 20 years, for the last 25 years, for 30 years. And my relationship with, with Pastor Tim is much newer, but over the last three years has been incredibly important. And some of you know this because you've read uh, some of his blogs, some of his writing that I've passed on in, in my own weekly notes. In 2020, you remember you were there. It was a crazy season. With COVID this, and social justice that, and the election the other, and there were voices from every direction telling churches what they should do, telling pastors how they should respond, telling Christians, this is, this is what you need to think and believe. And I was, I was confounded by the whole thing. And, and, and I was pretty open about that. I think you remember that. Because everything that I thought I knew, everything that I'd ever been taught and everything that I believed was in order to know what to do and what to think and how to respond to anything were to seek God and wait on God. And when we hear from God, hasten to obey God. But, but there, were, uh, there was a chorus, there was a litany of voices saying, no, 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 you don't need to do any of that. Here's what you need to do. And, and, and there, was, there was a time I, I began to doubt, do, do I know the first thing about pastoring a church? Do I know the first thing about following Jesus? And, and, and as I was, I was praying and seeking, and there was a clarion voice from Fremont, California, uh, who began to write and, and began to, to share things that, that, that were the things of my heart. And over the last three years, Pastor Tim has really been a Barnabas to me from a distance, an encourager, reminding me, no, God's word is true. God's spirit speaks. And, and, and everything we know about loving and serving the Lord is everything that we're to do, especially in turbulent times. Nothing I didn't know, no new information, but sometimes the reassuring voice of a brother in the Lord is, is, is worth gold and, and silver. And uh, I'm blessed to have, have uh, had a chance to meet him face to face. I know you're going to be blessed as he shares with us from God's word. Please welcome Pastor Tim. Good morning to you. Greetings from uh, Fremont, California. Fremont is uh, halfway between San Jose and Oakland uh, on the East Bay side of the San Francisco Bay. And I think it might come as a shock to many Kansans, but there are true born-again Christians in California. And uh, there's people there that love Jesus, and uh, uh, we want to hang out there and uh, just be salt and to be light. I think the most consistent thing that I wrote in, in these three years of blogs, I still write, is basically, it doesn't matter what's going on in culture. The mission, the mandate, and the message of, Jesus, of, of the church 
never changes. You, as a pastor, as, a, as just a Christian, you never have to wonder what the church should be doing, regardless of what the culture is saying, what, regardless of what are, are the theological elites or the academic elites are saying. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go out and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe whatever I've commanded you. What, what changes that? What overrides that for the mission of the church? And so I'm so glad that we have a foundation in the scripture. Uh, I never have to wonder what my life is to be about, regardless of the storms that are, that are raging in the culture, in the church, in my life, in my family, whatever. I know what I'm supposed to be about. And I think any Bible-taught Christian should, should be able to have that same foundation, right? I know what my life is about. John 9, 25 uh, this morning. And watching at home, blessings on you. Uh, grab a Bible too because you're going to need it this morning. Just don't kick back and just listen. You can so easy to be passive at home. Don't be passive. Take your Bible, open it up, and get ready to turn the pages this morning. John chapter 9, verse 25. Let's stand together and uh, read this one verse. This is the man who was born blind. Jesus healed him. Uh, the Pharisees began to question him about Jesus and the one who healed him. And basically they called Jesus a sinner. But the blind man answers in verse 25, Whether he is a sinner, I don't know. One thing, one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So Father, we pray your blessing on the reading and the teaching of the scripture May we have an ear to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning about living a, a one-thing life. God wants you to live a simple life. Uh, the word simple, it comes from the Latin meaning one. Just one. If it's simple, it's one. The word complex means two or more. God doesn't want you to have a complicated heart. God wants you to have a simple heart. God wants you to have a one-thing heart. Now, God knows you have many things to do. You have many things that are on your mind. Life is complex. It's made up of two or more things. It's made up sometimes of too many things. And yet, at the same time that life is complex, our hands are doing many things, our minds are, you know, juggling this and, and, and juggling that, and we're planning this and we're planning that. So even at the same time, though, that all of these things are going on, God desires that you live a simple life. Now, I, I don't think that you can... Let me go back. Oh. Well, anyway... I, I guess I'm missing something here. But I don't think that you can simplify your lifestyle. And th this isn't a sermon about simplifying your lifestyle. You're not going to leave this place going, okay, what can I cut out of my life? And it's not that kind of a thing. It's to simplify your heart. You can't simplify your lifestyle. Well, you can possibly. But this, this isn't a message about that. 
We have uh, three kids, nine grandkids, and seven live in the city with us. In fact, three of them spent the night with uh, my wife uh, Friday night. One of them spent the night last night. We're always doing stuff with our grandkids, and we provide a lot of child care for our, our kids. And so we're picking up from school, sometimes taking to school, spending the night, taking them here, taking them there. And uh, sometimes that can get really hectic, you know, because one kid needs to be picked up at 2, the next one, other one, next one at 2.15, uh, one at 3, two at 3.15. And my wife's going, ah, I can't do it. And so I, I have to help sometimes too, which is fine. And we're picking up the kids and taking them here. And then they forgot their iPad at home. And so we have to go, you know, to the house where they live and pick up their iPad or their charger or you know, whatever it happens to be. And then as a pastor, you know, uh, uh, Pastor Patrick was mentioning, okay, next week we have uh, the building project here. And then we have the... Uh, uh, chaos for the senior high and then we're going to go down and do a Bible study and then we're going to go down and do something in the park. There's just all kinds of stuff that's going on. I don't think that you can simplify your lifestyle because if you were to cut some things out, no doubt some people would suffer because of that. But again, you can simplify your heart. And you can have a one thing heart though you have a many thing life Life can get complicated, but at the same time, when you live in the simplicity that there is in Christ, um, you can live that simple life. Uh, Pastor Patrick mentioned night, uh, 2020. Um, there was that movie, The Perfect Storm, right? Where I think it was the Enola, no, Enola Gay, that's the plane that dropped the bomb. Uh, what, what was that? I don't know the name of the boat in um, um, Perfect Storm. But anyway, there was that fishing uh, trawler out there in the North Atlantic, and there were three storm fronts, one coming from the north, I think one from the south, and I'm not sure where the other one came from, but just slammed into this boat there. It was the perfect storm. I'm sure they thought it was the imperfect storm, but uh, it was the perfect storm in terms of, of the movie. And we had a perfect storm in 2020. We had the medical uh, pandemic, then we had the social pandemonium, with the uh, George Floyd murders and all of the, the pandemonium that broke out because of that, and then the political partisanship. And like uh, Patrick said, man, every voice was telling you, you know, if you vote for Biden, you're not a Christian. If you vote for Trump, you're not a Christian. If you vaccinate, you're not a Christian. If you don't vaccinate, you're not a Christian. If you all, all of this stuff, and, and the church just began to splinter as you well know. And for me, the, the, the greatest sorrow during that time was to see the lack of love in the church. I, I think the church failed in 2020. Can I say that? Of course I can say it because I'm leaving uh, this afternoon. So. <laughs> <laughs> and Pastor Patrick will have to, you know, clean up after me. But I, I think... I, I, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, think, I really do. I, I think the church... I don't think that those things caused division in the church. I think they exposed the fault lines you know, that, that were already there. And no longer was Christ the foundation for our fellowship. But are, are you, are you uh, pro or anti-vax? Are you pro or anti-vax? Uh, 
masking? Are you CRT? Are you BLM? Are you Christian nationalism? Are you MAGA or non-MAGA or anti-MAGA? Or are you just a, a maggot? You know, I don't know what, <laughs> what, what it was, you know. But that became, that became if you're an a anti-vax, pro-masking, anti-Biden, I can fellowship with you. But if you're pro-Biden, anti-mask, anti-vax, I can't. And there's all these combinations, you know, of all of these differentials. And, and the church just began to, to split into different camps. And to me, that was a tragedy. That Christ was no longer the foundation. It wasn't good enough that you believe that you're a brother or sister in Christ. What's your political philosophy? What's your cultural philosophy? Where do you stand when it comes to medical? Uh, I told my church about a year ago, here's, here's our COVID policy. Here, here's what we're going to go forward now with my on. We are, we are, we are anti-COVID. <laughs> if you belong to a pro-COVID church, get out of that <laughs> right, right, right away. But, but listen, <clears throat> I told them, uh, you're an adult, you figure it out. I'm not your conscience, I'm not your medical advisor. If you want to vax, vax. If you don't want to vax, don't vax. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you don't want to wear a mask, don't wear a mask. You're an adult. I'm an adult. I can't babysit you. I'm not going to lead your conscience in those things. You, you're a thinking adult. You're taught by the scripture. You know the facts or the non-facts or whatever's out there, you know. You make a decision. And everybody said, yeah, hallelujah. And it was a, we almost had a revival that day, you know, uh, in, in church because, because of our position on COVID. Uh, here is our position. We're going to fellowship in Jesus. He's the ground of our fellowship. And, and I refuse to get caught up in a cause to what this academic elite, the cultural elite, the philosophical, theological elite would say, you got to do this, got to go here, got to vote this way, got to think this way, have to get behind this cause. Uh, no, I don't. I have a mandate. I have a mission. I have a message. And I won't be deterred from that. This church won't be deterred from that. Because what Christ said in Matthew 20, 18, 19, 20, that stands. That's the marching order of the church. And um, um, that was the deal. And so uh, life got very, very complicated. But I think if you had a simple heart, a one thing heart, we're going to talk about here in a minute, uh, you were able to navigate through the thing not unscathed, you know, every church took a hit, every pastor was criticized, because no matter what decision you made as a pastor or as a board, you're going to lose people. You're going to mask, I'm out of here. You're not going to mask, I'm out of here. You're not going to take a position on vaccinations, I'm out of here. Uh, you're not going to be anti or pro-Trump uh, or anti or pro I'm out of here. Uh, and again, I just refused to be put into any of those, any of those boxes. God's given us a mandate, a mission, and a message, and we're going to stay on point. And I think it's because of just the teaching of the Word of God through the years, you know, verse by verse, that has kept so many, I think, in line during this time. So let's look at um, John chapter 9, verse 25. Well, we read it. Uh, the man born blind says, One thing I know, uh, that though I was blind, now I see. One thing I know. Jesus touched me. And I, I know that Pastor Patrick is jealous 
that that, that that fact, that truth, that reality be firmly planted in your mind. And you might not have, what, what a dramatic testimony that guy had. Jesus laid hands on me, my eyes were open, and wow. And you might not have a testimony like that. Obviously in the spirit you do, because your soul was mine, your spirit was mine. And he touched you. And where you didn't see God before, and where you didn't see spiritual reality before, where you were blind and stumbling around when it comes to the things of God, <clears throat> now I can see. And now I can walk in Christ. So in one sense, all of us have that same testimony. But I get it. A lot of us don't have the same dramatic testimony. I was raised in church, never drank, never smoked, don't chew, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with girls who do kind of a thing. And uh, I was baptized when I was 13, and I'm sure I sinned once when I was 16. But, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but, but that's not my testimony. I'm just uh, Patrick's testimony right there. But <laughs> and so you really don't have any kind of dramatic, you know, I was, you know, lost in sin, drugs and rock and roll, and Jesus came and, took me out of it. But, but all of you hopefully can say, he touched me. I was blind, but now I see. Don't be jealous of anybody else's testimony because you had the same touch of Jesus as they did. And that's what sets you free. That's what gives you a testimony. It's not how bad off you were. It's how, what Jesus did for you. He touched you and he made you, uh, he made you see. And so... Um, People will say to you, well, what, what about uh, gender dysphoria? What about um, uh, the homosexual community? What about, you know, a, a abortion? What about, you know, this and what, the evil in the world and why does God allow floods and all this? And we're so afraid to say, I don't know. But this guy here said, you know, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But here's what I know. Let me tell you what I know. Jesus touched me. <coughs> Jesus touched me, and he made me whole. And people might be asking you, well, what about the age of the earth in Genesis chapter 1, and is it mythical, is it literal history, and what do you say about this, and, you know, the fossils, and what do you say about that, and, again, why is there evil in the world? And, and you might think, well, I'm such a horrible Christian because I don't know what to say. But you can say, I don't know. Let me tell you what I do know. Normally you say, I don't know, and you know, walk away in shame and in defeat. But you can say, let me tell you what I do know. Here's the Jesus that I know. He wants to come into your life. <coughs> Excuse me. He wants to come in your life. And he wants to touch you. I know Jesus can do that for you. But so often the church, we're intimidated by, by the academic, theological, philosophical questions that people ask us. And we feel like we're not adequately prepared, qualified to do that. Um, it's asking a lot. Don't be intimidated by that. Tell them what you do know, that Jesus touched you and he made you whole. In Philippians 3.13, let's turn there. Turn to your right. This is where Paul says, one thing I do. The man born blind says, one thing I know, 
And Paul the Apostle in Philippians chapter 3 says, One thing I do. This is where he's talking about his former life in Judaism, his credentials uh, for being an exemplary Jew. But then he talks about being saved and now his heart for God. And he says in Philippians 3, verse 13, uh, well, look at verse 12, pick up a little bit of context. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. It's not like the, word of, the work of God in me is complete. Uh, but I press on. I reach forward that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul would say this, He touched me, and now I seek to touch him. The man born blind says, uh, Where I was blind, now I see. He touched me. He made me whole. And now Paul the Apostle says, One thing I do is I want to touch him who touched me. Christ reached down, and now I'm reaching up. That's the one thing I do. That's the aspiration of my heart. Yeah, i got to pick up my grandkids. Yeah, I have to prepare a sermon. Yeah, I have to uh, go to the office for this, and I have to go to the store for that, and i got to plan. But here's, here's the aspiration of my heart. My life is complicated. It's more than one or two things. But I have a one-thing heart. And when you live a one-thing life, all of the stuff you're doing out here, all of the weight, all of the responsibility, the stuff that you even hate to do, the stuff that's such a hassle for you, having that one thing heart will make life a lot lighter, will make life a lot easier, will give your heart so much more peace, even though you've got all this stuff, and you can't get out of it. It'd be irresponsible for you to get out of it but you can live in the middle of the peace of Christ by having that one thing heart. One thing I know, the blind man said, one thing I do, Paul the Apostle said. He touched me, and I, teach to, I seek to touch him. In Psalm 27, verse 4, check it out. Psalm 27, verse 4. David says, I want to get on this bandwagon too. And he says... <clears throat> One thing, again, notice the theme, one thing I have asked from the Lord, and that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. That, that's all I want to do, is I want to I see the Lord. Paul, the apostle, said, I, I want to touch God. I reach forward to touch Him. David says, one thing, I, I want to see Him. And obviously these are the, of the same ilk. The blind man, the man born blind said, he touched me. Paul says, I want to touch him. David said, I want to see him. That was the trajectory of his soul. That was the, the, the desire of his heart. One thing have I desired. Well, I have to admit, I've desired a lot of things. And a lot of things have gripped, you know, my heart. And they, 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 they've really uh, taken hold in my heart. And David, he could have desired a lot of things. He could have desired revenge on King Saul. 
Uh, he could have desired to come to the throne so much sooner. There, there's, all of us can desire so many things. But Paul said, one thing I desire. I, wanna, I want to see, I want to see uh, the Lord. Uh, there was, you know, in early Christianity, uh, the, the monastic movement started uh, quite soon. And there would be different men who would see the, um, the carnality of the church, of the church at that time. And they would say, it's really hard for me to follow God within the institutional church. And so they, they went out as monks. The word monk comes from the Latin word mono, just meaning one. And they, they became monks, and they just went out to live a solitary life, just of simple devotion uh, to God. And soon after that, monasteries began to form where groups of monks would come together, and the head of the monastery was called the abbot. And so there's this one monastery back, I don't know if it was the 5th or 6th century, and uh, one of the monks came up to the abbot of the monastery, and he said, uh, uh, Father, there, there are so many men that come out from the city, so many young men that come from the villages and from the towns, and, and their desire is to be a monk, right? But they're with us for two weeks, they're with us for three months, they're with us for eight months, and they all go back to the city. You know, why is it? Why is that? Why, why don't they stay, you know, with us as monks? And the uh, abbot said, I have a dog. And that dog saw a rabbit one day, and he took up the chase. And he chased the rabbit through the town and out through the orchards and the vineyards and out through the houses and back through the village and out through the orchards and the village. Uh, 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 the village and out through the neighborhood and back into the town. And then other dogs saw that and they began to give chase. And soon there was this pack of dogs racing through the town, out through the orchards and vineyards and through the neighborhoods and back through the town. But at the end of the day, only my dog was keeping up the chase through the town, out through the orchards and vineyards and through the houses. Only my dog persevered at the end of the day. He said, do you understand, my son? And the monk said, no. <laughs> and the abbot said, my dog saw the rabbit. All of the other dogs saw a commotion. Hey, that's the abbot's dog running. I bet there's something happening, you know. And the, they, all, they all began to give chases. They didn't know they were chasing a rabbit. They were just joining the dog and pony show, right? And oh, I'm going I'm to get in on this. And, and, and after a while, they said to one another, what, what are we chasing? What are we doing? And they just began to fall off, you know, one by one. <coughs> and by the end of the day, it was just the abbot's dog because he saw, he saw the rabbit. David said, I want to see him. I want to behold him. And when, when, you, when you see God, nothing else matters. That, that takes precedence over everything else. And Paul says, I want to my, my, uh, my one desire is to behold the beauty of the Lord. We sang about it this morning. You're beautiful, God. And to have that, 
that, that understanding, that knowing, that doctrine, but to have that experience rooted, you know, in your heart. I've seen God. And, you know, I, I could explain to you, I could take a 10,000 word essay and trying to describe to you what popcorn tastes like. And it could be brilliant, it could be articulate and all those things. Or, I could give you a handful of popcorn. That, that one handful of popcorn would outweigh all of the reason, the intellect, the philosophy, all of the uh, 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 words that are written. One taste is worth 10,000 words, worth 20,000 words, worth 30,000 words. And the psalmist would say, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And when you see God, just one taste, one taste of God. You know, you, you can... As parents, we should be ministering to our children and telling them about Jesus. But I can't taste God for them. Uh, you, can't, you can't force your kids to the faith. You can force them to church, but you can't force them to Jesus. And you can, and you can say 10,000 words, and you should. But when they taste Jesus, they'll know. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. David says, I desire to behold his beauty. That's the one thing. The man born blind said, one thing I know is he touched me. I was blind. Now I see. Uh, Paul would say, one thing I do, I reach forward to touch him who touched me. David says, there's just one thing I desire. I want to see him. They all had a one thing heart. Life is complicated. It's made up of two or more things. But my heart is simple. I have a one thing, one thing heart. In Mark 2, uh, Mark, Luke 10, 42, we have Jesus at the house of Mary and Martha. You're very familiar with the story. But let's turn there. Jesus is a guest in their home. Martha's cooking up. What's a good Kansan meal? Barbecue. All right, barbecue. So Martha's in there doing barbecue, not pork, because that wouldn't be kosher for them, <laughs> but barbecue lamb. And so uh, she's in there doing shish kebabs for Jesus, and, and she's you know, really caught up with all of the, uh, of the preparation and everything. But where's Mary? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so Martha gets all perturbed about that. Tell, tell Mary to help me. But here's what Jesus says, Luke 10, 42. Let's look at verse 41. The Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried uh, and, and bothered about so many things. You have a complicated heart. You have a complicated mind. But what only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part that shall not be taken away from her. The one thing necessary for Jesus in this context is to hear him. Mary's at the place where she can hear me. The blind man said, he touched me. Paul says, I want to touch him. David said, I want to see him. Mary would say, I want to hear him. One thing 
is necessary. That your heart, the, the trajectory of your heart, the direction of your heart, the passion, the desire of your heart be set on Christ and Christ alone. <clears throat> Distractions were, uh, uh, Mary was distracted by so many things. There was this bloodhound uh, that was hunting with his master one day and they were after a prized deer. And so the bloodhound was taken out uh, taking out after the deer and chased him. And then after a while, there was a fox that crossed the path of, of the bloodhound, and he began to chase the fox. He stopped chasing the deer, began to chase the fox, and after a little while, there was a rabbit that crossed in front of his trail. So he began chasing after the rabbit, not the fox, not the deer, but the rabbit. And then there was a mouse that crossed his path. And he began to, to chase after the mouse. And he cornered the mouse in the corner of the farmer's barn. He should have bagged that prized deer. But he was distracted by so many things, he ended up with a mouse in the corner of a barn. And I wonder how many of you have been distracted by so many things. Your heart is after Christ. And then the medical pandemic comes and you get all lathered up about this or that. And you become pro-anti this, that, whatever. And you have to bend everybody to your will. And if people don't agree with you, you write them out of their lives, your life, you know. And that's, that happened in California. I think Kansans are probably holier than the Californians. <laughs> so I'm sure it didn't happen here. But uh, how many Christians got up in a lather and instead of chasing, pursuing Christ, they're trying to bend everybody to their will now about the medical pandemic. How silly is that? And then comes the George Floyd uh, uh, murder and all the social pandemic and then the, the philosophy of BLM and CRT. Well, where did this come from? It's been in the oven for decades, decades and decades. It just didn't shoot up. But it became known quite well during that time. And then all of a sudden, Christians get all in a lather. Are you CRT or are you BLM? And there were some churches in our area that began to, uh, uh, you know, you, you've heard of the Great Awakening, right? With the, uh, the revivals in early America. Well, there was the Great Awakening in, in, in uh, uh, California. And some churches, hey, if you're white, you're a racist and all this and all that. And... That's just dumb. How's... I cannot believe my brothers went after that kind of utter silliness and foolishness. And, and, and so uh, George Floyd crossed their path, and they began pursuing that kind of a thing. And, and they got all in the lather about social justice. Social justice is such an elastic term. It can mean anything to anybody. But you began to recruit people towards your specific vision, version of social justice. And if you don't believe this, I can't fellowship with you. I can't and so they're, now they're chasing visions of social justice. And then there's the pushback from those who said, you're nuts and you're crazy. And then, you know, with the political partisanship that came with, you know, Biden and Trump towards the end of the year, and, you know, are you pro or against, you know, if you vote for Biden, you're not a Christian. If you vote for Trump... Uh, you're not a Christian. And that then, the, the presidential election crossed the path of pastors and churches. And they began to, to pursue 
after that. And so the church, instead of lifting up Christ and exalting Christ and, and, and preaching the cross of Jesus Christ, we're barking against Democrats and Republicans in the corner of a barn at the end of the year. 2020 was a horrible year for the church. But the Lord's rebuilding the church. And in one sense, it was a good thing. You know, when I have people come in my office and uh, they tell me that they're into the robe, uh, I, I just get a big stupid grin on my face and say, praise the Lord. Because now, now you're open for, for what Jesus can do. I mean, you know the story of the prodigal son. What if he came to you and he was longing to eat, to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs ate, and he laid out to you his story of woe? You know the end of the story. Hopefully you would say, praise God, because now you're broken. And now you're going to return to your father. Instead of trying to fix the guy's problem. Well, let me give you 10 bucks to go get a Big Mac so you can stay in the pig's pen a little bit longer. You know, if you knew the story, you're going to go, hallelujah. When, when you finally get to the end of the place and you're broken, uh, they think it's the worst thing in the world. I think it's the best thing in the world. Uh, when, I, when I do my uh, counseling ministry and you know, people come in, I don't look at where a, a man or a woman is. I, I look at where they're going. Uh, men or women are, or whatever the grammar there is. So, so here's, here's someone, this is someone, um, and this is their face. They're, they're, they're walking uh, towards the cliff, and, and they're 10 feet away from the cliff. But they're walking towards it. Here's another person. They're facing this way, and they're one foot from the cliff. Who's in the greatest danger? Don't determine where a person is by where they're at but where they're going. So this fellow who's 10 feet away from the cliff is in more danger than the person who's one foot away from the cliff based upon their trajectory. And so I, I look at the, 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 the uh, prodigal son, broken, utterly broken. For him, he's going, oh, this is the worst thing. I'm going, that's the best thing. Because now your trajectory is going to change. And so um, hopefully the Lord's going to minister to the church. And a lot of the church is going to dig out of just the utter foolishness they got themselves into in, in 2020. And the Lord can right the ship. And I know he will, because God's made a covenant with the church. You know, um, we, we, I wrote a thing on worship the other uh, few weeks ago on one of my blogs. And um, we're talking about some songs and songs that some Christians won't sing because of the lyrics or whatever. Uh, but there's one, there's one line in, <clears throat> in one song that I can't sing. And it's, um, Create in me a clean heart, O God. This out of Psalm 51, David's uh, repentance after the thing with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. Uh, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And then he says, Take not the Holy Spirit from me. Right? Remember that song? Create in me a clean heart. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. And I can't sing that, because to me that's bad New Testament theology. Because Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. 
So in some way, when we get to that, I just hum it through. I don't make a big stink about it. I just, I just, I don't stand up and go, heresy. <laughs> Do you worship leader? Get off the stage, you know. Uh, I just, I just hum it through. Uh, because, you know, David wrote that because, you know, he was ministering to Saul. He saw the Holy Spirit taken from Saul. He saw the Holy Spirit lifted from the life of Saul, and he probably thought, man, if, if Saul sinned in black and white, I sinned in living color. <laughs> and if God took the Holy Spirit away from Saul for that, what can I expect? You know, and so that's, so it was a good prayer on his part, you know. Uh, he didn't have the promise of, I'll never leave you or, or forsake you. So theologically, in the context, it made sense, but I can't sing that just because of I, you know, the new covenant context that we're in. But the, the thing is, wh- why didn't God take the Holy Spirit from, from David like he took the Holy Spirit uh, from King Saul? And the difference is this, is that God made a covenant with David, and Saul didn't have that same covenant. God's made a covenant with you and me through Jesus Christ. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will always work in you. He who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. And I don't think that's just an individual promise. I think that's a promise for the church too, that God will so work in the body of Christ to perfect, to to, to bring the church to where the church needs to be. And so even though I think the church took a huge hit uh, during the COVID season here and everything that came along with it, I know Jesus is purifying his church. Jesus is correcting his church. One thing is necessary uh, to just to hear the Lord and all of the distractions that the church has been chasing after. Hopefully we'll just get back to the single pursuit, the pure heart, the single-hearted pursuit of Jesus Christ. In um, Mark 10.21, just turn left a few pages Mark 10, 21. This is the rich young ruler. You know the story. Um, Lord, let me uh, follow you. Verse 18. Verse 19. I want to follow you, Jesus. And um, I'm sorry. He said, what, what shall I do to, to gain eternal life? I want to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said in verse 19, you know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your mom and dad. And he said to him, Teacher, Jesus, I've kept all these things from my youth up. And looking at him, Jesus fell to love for him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And so we have the rich young ruler there. That's for modern times. And uh, one thing... You lack, you lack one thing. You lack one thing because you are possessed by complexity. There's a complexity in your heart. There's wealth in your heart. There's the pursuit of riches. There's the concern that that surrounds that. He was rich. He was young. He was a ruler. So there were people he was responsible for. He had authority. There was a realm of governance that he was responsible for. And to him, that was a big deal. But Jesus knew that all of that was a distraction. Like he said to Martha, you're distracted by so many things. One thing is necessary. 
but the rich young ruler, because he was just like Martha, distracted by so many things. Jesus said, get rid of it all and come follow me. And we know that he went away sorrowful because he couldn't, <clears throat> he couldn't, uh, uh, you know, uh, part with what, with what he had. You lack because you're possessed by complexity. You're, you're a double-minded man. Uh, I'm calling you to a, a simple heart, a simple life, a simple desire, a simple trajectory. Um, but I know that if, if you try to take, <coughs> me, if you try to take me and, and just superimpose me on all this stuff in your life, it's not going to work. It's like the seed that's sown right in thorny ground. Uh, the thorns uh, grow up and, and choke out the seed, the desire for riches, the concern for the things of life. That's you, a rich young ruler. And you've got to get rid of that thorny ground and uh, just give it all to me. But he wasn't willing to do that because he, he lacked that one thing. And so, from our, our uh, lesson this morning, one thing I know, the man born blind said, one thing I do, Paul said, one thing I desire, David said. One thing is necessary. Mar uh, Mary had that. One thing you lack. Let go of all those things that you're touching that prevent him from touching you, prevent you from touching him, seeing him, and hearing him. And what that is for you, I don't know. But may we have an ear to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. Those things that choke out your heart. The desire, uh, said in the first service, you know, certainly Pastor Patrick and I know that you, you can have more than one thing in your heart. I've known, Patrick knows a lot of pastors who have a desire for Jesus and a desire for a big church. Right? Because I want to be known. I want people to admire me. I want people to look at me and go, ooh, he's anointed. The anointed of the Lord. Um, but obviously, that desire is going to choke out the one desire for Christ. They can't live together in the same heart. And I, every pastor I've known has had that same struggle that 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 whatever the desire is that isn't for christ it has to bow to the desire for christ um pastor packer said in the first service uh, he said uh, uh my church is about the same size here it's about 200 i said no my church is 201 you know <laughs> just that just, just that up one upmanship right um C.T. Studd, he was uh, someone who had a one-thing mind. He, he knew one thing, he did one thing, he desired one thing, he thought one thing was necessary. He was sold out for Christ. He was a world-famous cricket player uh, in England, and he was saved under the ministry of D.L. Moody back in the 1800s sometime. And he gave his life and his wealth fully to Christ, and he went to uh, China, and he served under uh, Hudson Taylor while he was there. And while he was there, 
Uh, he went on to Africa and started the Heart of Africa ministry. But while he was in China, he inherited a sum of uh, what would amount to a half a million dollars, which back then that was huge. He gave it away in 24 hours. He said, I don't want to be distracted by all of the, the paraphernalia that comes with managing that and, and trying to you know, invest it and following up on that and taking care of it and hiring managers for it. I, I don't want that in my life. And that's certainly not to say that you who manage funds and have play the stock market that there's something wrong with that. That's not the point. The point was that for him, for him, that would dilute his heart. For him, that would get him off the one thing. That would put two things in his heart. In his heart. His heart would be complicated. And so he gave it all away within the course of, of half an hour. He didn't want anything in his hands that would keep him from the one thing he was called to do. C.T. Studd, he knew one thing. He did one thing. He desired one thing. He thought only one thing was necessary. And he gave it all up. Unlike the rich young ruler, he gave it all up for the one thing. He had a simple heart, a single heart for the Lord. And may you live a one thing life. May you have a one thing heart. And again, you're balancing a lot of plates and balls and juggling so many things. But may there be one thing in your heart. A love for Christ, a desire for Christ, a passion for Christ. May you see him. Uh, one of my messages up at the men's retreat was to see him who cannot not be seen. We were driving out of Yosemite and... Uh, going right by El Capitan, which is higher than the Empire State Building, taller than the Eiffel Tower. It's huge. How many of you know what El Capitan? It, it cannot not be seen. And I said to my kids, there's El Capitan. David said, ooh. Bonnie said, ooh. Benjamin said, I don't see it. <laughs> I said, what do you mean you don't see it? it you can't see anything else. And, well, uh, and my other kids are going, ooh, wow. And Benjamin goes, I don't, I don't see it. I don't get it. Um, and that which could not not be seen, he could not see. When you're living that simple, one thing life, you will see him who cannot not be seen. Because God fills the universe. He's more immense than the heavens, the oceans, the earth. Uh, he, he's... We, we serve a gigantic God. And, and when you have that, that, that one thing heart, that simple heart, your vision of God, huge. It'll overpower everything and anything. And then as you barrel through troubles, troubles with your family, your, your kids, your, your marriage, your finances, your friends, your career, your emotions, uh, your uh, struggle with what's happening in America, whatever it happens to be, man, you, you can have that, you can struggle with that in, in the context of the vision of a huge God. There's a God above you, below you, behind you, before you. You're surrounded by Him. There's nowhere you can go where you're not out of His presence. This is the God that loves you. This is the God that cares for you. This is the God that died for you. 
And possibly you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning. This is your first time at church or hundredth time at church, I don't know. But you've never surrendered to Christ. Paul the Apostle said that if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. And possible that some of you have never made that good confession. Possibly at home, you've never made that good confession that God raised Jesus from the dead. You've never confessed Jesus as Lord. I'd love to give you that opportunity this morning. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. And by standing, you can stand at home too. And by standing, you're saying, Pastor, pray with me. I'd love to lead you in a prayer of receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says Christ died for you, according to the Scriptures. He bore your sin, your shame, your guilt. He was buried, and on the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures. And he's inviting you to trust him this morning. This morning, if you want to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've never made that decision before. You've never confessed Christ as your Savior. I invite you right now just to stand up where you're seated. I'd love to lead you in a prayer. Is there anybody here that would like to do that? You need to do that. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is on you. At home, stand up in your living room. Give your life to Christ. It's never too soon to give your life to Christ. One day it might be too late, but it's never too soon to do that. Anybody here, you want to do that? Well, there might be someone standing at home, so uh, I invite you to pray this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need Jesus Christ. Jesus, I repent of my sin and put my faith in you. I believe that God raised you from the dead. And I confess that you're my Lord. Jesus, come and wash and cleanse me. Come and fill me with the Holy Spirit. Give me power to live my life for you. Jesus, thank you for your awesome gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And if you did that, welcome to the family of God. And let, let Pastor Patrick, let the folks here at the church know, and they'd love to be in contact with you somehow and, and minister and follow up with you. God bless you.